When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're talking about postpartum hormones. We talk so much about the postpartum experience physically and emotionally. We talk a lot about the pelvic floor and the abdominals, but let's take a step back and talk about the hormonal changes. They're massive, they're quick, they shift. It's a really big deal, and it helps us better understand what's going on physically and emotionally when we can start to look at this foundational place. So as I got more and more interested in this, I reached out to someone I've actually talked to in the past, someone I've connected with, and she's amazing, Dr. Aviva Ram. She is a midwife, an herbalist, a Yale-trained MD. She's board certified in family medicine with obstetrics, and her focus is on what she calls total health ecology, particularly hormonal problems in women and common children's health problems. She's the author of seven books on natural medicine, including the textbook Botanical Medicine for Women's Health and the Adrenal Thyroid Revolution. And Dr. Ram is also the author of the Integrative Medicine Curriculum for the Yale Internal Medicine and Pediatrics Residences. And I'm so excited that you will hear this conversation. She goes in deep. It's a little geeky at times. I love it. I think the more knowledge, the more we can make informed choices and we can talk to our care provider, what's going on in our bodies. So it's so exciting, this conversation. Before we get to that, just a reminder there are so many opportunities to keep learning together. I have two online courses. One is called Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi? And that's for yoga teachers who want and crave a little more support for their pregnant students. And then we have one called Teaching the Postnatal Student. And that is about the other side of, of uh, the whole perinatal experience. We do a lot of focus on prenatal. It's time we focus a bit more on postnatal. So that online course is to teach the postnatal student with confidence. And then we have a bunch of online courses that we do for our prenatal students. We have a four one-hour prenatal classes you can get. And we just finished, we had a cesarean workshop, we had a VBAC workshop. So lots of great stuff. Keep an eye on our website, sign up for the newsletter, sign up for the podcast newsletter. And then last thing is that we have a bunch of in-person teacher trainings. We have the 85-hour prenatal yoga teacher training, which Caprice and I take around the country. And this summer, we have a really special workshop. It's focusing back on that postnatal part of uh, teaching the perinatal community. So it's a two-day intensive. The first day, I teach, I think, six hours of postnatal, teaching the postnatal student. That's in New York this summer. And then the second day, we 
have Paige Bellenbaum from the Motherhood Center coming in to talk about PMADS, perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And then Caprice is teaching a believe five hours of baby and me yoga. So a whole postnatal baby and me in-person teacher training in New York City. Check that out. And I think that's it. And then, of course, a thank you for being listeners and a thank you to those who have uh, put a rating and review on wherever you listen to this from. I appreciate that. And just a thank you for being here. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. Please enjoy my conversation with Aviva. Hi, Aviva. How are you? I am so well. Thank you for having me here today. It's having you back. You did this, I was like two years ago. I loved it. And I had such a great time talking. And as I was saying before we officially started recording, I've had students talking to me about postpartum hormones. And as I mentioned, it's something I'm interested in. And when I don't have the answer, I need to find the expert who does. And so as soon as the person, several people asked me, but okay, I've talked to Viv in the past. She knows her stuff. <laughs> Let's go right back. So this is, thank so, you. You're so welcome. So we're going to talk postpartum hormones. So before we jump into that, let's tell the community a little bit about yourself and how you got into this field and your interest in women's health. So I actually went off to college when I was 15, believe it or not, thinking I was going to be a physician. And within three months, someone handed me a copy of Ina Mae Gaskin's book, Spiritual Midwifery. And I was like, okay, I get it. This is my life. And I left school apprenticed to a midwife. Um, apprenticed actually till I was 18. It was a couple of different groups of midwives and just kind of fell in love with this work. I did childbirth education training um, during that time. And so by the time I was 22. I was actually midwifing births as a home birth midwife. And then kind of fast forward a lot of years, I had my own four kids, um, midwifed a lot of babies and just watching what was happening in the medical world um, with obstetric interventions and the rates of C-sections escalating and women not finding what they needed when they had to kind of cross that Rubicon into medical care, whether it was for a transport from a home birth or a medical complication came up in pregnancy, um, who were they going to go to on the inside? So I thought, all right, I got to be that person and went back to school. I went to Yale Med School as a mom with uh, three teen and tween daughters and and a son in college at that time and got my medical training and then ultimately did family medicine with obstetrics so that I could do the entire gamut of, as people say, cradle to the grave medicine. It sounds a little morbid, but really whole life care. And so I take care of women in all aspects of their life cycles, um, young teenage women, all the way through women in menopause and their senior years and women going through pregnancy and birth and fertility and prenatal. I'm not actually midwifing babies anymore. I midwifed my own two grandkids at home and occasionally go to a family or or a close friend birth. But for the most part, I'm doing all the work around women's reproductive and, and gynecology health. And postpartum has been a huge passion for me for really decades. Um, I wrote a book on postpartum before it was a cool topic, before we were talking about the fourth trimester. But for me, um, postpartum care really started to be a passion project uh, after my first baby was born. Uh, Believe it or not, I was having a group of midwives at my house that day, home birth midwives. We were having a meeting and I was postpartum by just a couple of weeks. So everyone said, well, let's have the meeting at Aviva's house and we can hang out. And by the time everyone left, my left breast was 
killing me. I was in so much pain. My husband came home from work early. I called him and I'm, I'm like, I'm crying. Like, I think I'm going to die. I'm like, sure. I'm going to die. If I die, I named this friend of ours, like have her be our kid's mom, you know? And he's like, I think you're fine. I'm like, no, no, no. I need to take my temperature. And I had 104.2 and crazy. I, yeah. And I realized like Was the mastitis. I did. The <laughs> midwives had totally missed it. Then when I was four months postpartum, and we're talking back like 1985. So the state of Homer's midwifery, everything was very, was different. very different. My, mid- yeah. my midwives were great, but it was much more like traditional midwifery. Then like I was four months postpartum and my hair started doing that and hair falling out that some, some women got. And the midwives, again, like nobody had an idea what was going on. So I had to do my own research. And I, I just realized that cultures all around the world have ways of supporting women. And we have largely lost that. And not only that, a lot of women are living far from their families of origin. But even if we live near our moms, um, maybe this more millennial generation, but my generation, our moms gave us baby bottles and with formula and they were smoking and drinking during pregnancy. It was like Mad Men era. So a lot of our moms didn't even know how to provide that information that we were so hungry to have. Mm. So for me, it became, you know, a really big part of my midwifery practice and, um, what is important to me to talk about and write about, um, cause I love it. And it's such a special time. It's also such a hugely dramatic time as we're going to talk about with women's hormones. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like feel like, you know, there, as you said, the fourth trimester is definitely something people are paying more attention to, you know, uh, supporting and breastfeeding and kangaroo care and a lot of that. But I feel like the postpartum hormones is a missing piece for fully understanding postpartum recovery. Um, so I guess before we really get too deep, would you mind, we're going to start from the beginning and really yeah, just yeah, explain, can you explain what happens to the hormones post-birth? Because there's you know, we talk a lot about the hormones during pregnancy and how, you know, there's such an increase, but then the baby comes out and there's such a decrease. So can you jump yeah, into that? Yeah. So, yeah. So starting with what happens in pregnancy essentially is that our hormones, our estrogen, our progesterone, our prolactin just, you know, hit the, hit the ceiling or the, that, that is what does break through a glass ceiling, like the levels of estrogen in our system during pregnancy or like being on hundreds of birth control pills a day. Right. And we, you know, women know if they've taken the pill, like that can feel pretty kind of crazy making for some women or really get emotions high or heightened. Um, but then postpartum, your hormones plummet within a few days and it is the, the postpartum first few days is the most dramatic hormone shift that we ever go through in our entire life cycle in the shortest period of time. So puberty, we all know, is dramatic hormones. If you have a teenager, teenage daughter or teenage son, for that matter, or teenage them, you know you know what it's like. And a lot of us remember, I think a lot of us as women think, yeah, I would never want to go through puberty again. And perimenopause and menopause, which I'm actually heading into now, are also pretty intense, dramatic life changes, but they happen over months and years, right? So pre, um, puberty, it's it's creeping up and then it's kind of happening and it's evolving until our hormones settle out. Same with perimenopause and menopause. but And, and even pregnancy, our hormones get really high really fast, but we kind of have 10 months to uh, you know, get accustomed to that. And then boom, you have the baby 
And you go through this basically bottoming out of your progesterone, first of all, which is such an important hormone for sleep and feeling good. And estrogen too. Um, You know, it's interesting. A lot of uh, if you read like a lot of um, websites on postpartum talk about estrogen dominance, but from the studies that have been done on estrogen postpartum, it's it's pretty low for most women. Um, and then if you're breastfeeding, you're, uh, so even if you're not breastfeeding, it takes a couple of few months for your hormones to level out. So a lot of women, even if they're not breastfeeding, won't start to have a regular ovulatory menstrual cycle for several months post baby. But if you're prolonged breastfeeding and if you're kangaroo mama kind of breastfeeding, you know, your attachment parenting breastfeeding where your baby's basically on your boob all the time, day and night, um, that prolactin, so pro meaning encourages and lactin, meaning it promotes milk um, or lactation, um, suppresses estrogen. So if you're breastfeeding, that estrogen suppression is is pretty significant too. And that can lead to symptoms of like vaginal dryness or uh, inflammation because um, estradiol, which is that predominant estrogen that makes us feel really juicy and lubricates our joints and makes us feel creative and is kind of bathes us in that sort of feminine um, softness that, you know, we experience um, is is bottomed out. So you're ex- essentially almost experiencing kind of like menopausal That's level. That's what hormones. I remember reading a while ago. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And it leads to um, like mus- the muscle tone isn't quite as supportive either. Is that correct? Yeah. And the other thing that can happen um, or that does happen is that prolactin antagonizes dopamine. So we've all heard of dopamine. And if you haven't, basically it's the hormone that gives you a rush when you gamble or when you get a lot of likes on a post that you put on Instagram. It's like that, it's the rush that makes us get addicted to rechecking our cell phone to see who texted us. Now you're speaking my language. Right. So dopamine is a feel-good hormone and estrogen, uh, sorry, prolactin is suppressing that too. So it's kind of like this triple whammy. Your progesterone is bottomed out so you feel less you're getting less good sleep than you're already getting with your baby waking you up and, you know, just kind of takes away some of that sort of cognitive ease. The estrogen is making you feel maybe a little bit kind of like dry, but also maybe a little emotionally brittle. Um, your prolactin is suppressing your estrogen and it's suppressing your, your dopamine. So you're not even getting the feel good hit. And depending on each individual woman's hormone status, um, for some women, these might be milder changes or changes that they tolerate more easily. But for other women, depending on the level of dopamine suppression on how low progesterone is, how low estrogen is, it can be debilitating, you know, and this can definitely be a part of why some women get some baby blues as those hormones drop, but some women really experience severe postpartum depression. And then, you know, I, I know, um, we, you know, it, when we were pre-chatting about today's chat, we were going to talk about, um, thyroid. So I don't want to, you know, do a spoiler alert, but for a lot of women, when they do have all of this going on, and then you add in the thyroid hormone changes that we'll talk about, um, it can, it can even just be so much worse. 
years. Oh gosh, it really it's and it's already such a huge time one's life when they're trying to figure out you know their personal identity and then they have this responsibility of figuring out how do I keep this person this baby alive. It's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot. Well, you, my daughter-in-law is a pediatrician and she has my two grandkids who are eight and five and she's an entrepreneur, health entrepreneur, and she went to this kind of high-level health entrepreneur mommy group recently and she said that um, all these different moms were talking about you know, getting their kid to piano and to French lessons and to this and to that and to the other thing and making dinner and having things be organic. And my daughter-in-law, she's hilarious. And she said, you know, this is incredible, you guys. But to me, I look at the clock at the end of the day and see it's seven o'clock and my two kids are still alive. I feel like it was a pretty good day. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your daughter-in-law should t- chat. I have a five and eight-year-old and I'm an entrepreneur, so I hear it. I hear it. They're alive. They're sleeping. They're, it's, it's good. We, we had a they successful day. They haven't been to the emergency room. No, she's a great parent, but it was just like, it's funny how she said it. Yeah. Sometimes I have to change that bar. So you mentioned estrogen dominance. Can you explain that? So estrogen dominance is kind of a catch-all term that's very popular in the wellness integrative functional medicine space. And what is is what is being described is a phenomenon in which estrogen is high relative to progesterone. So throughout our cycles and throughout various phases of our life cycles, depending on whether we're in puberty or fertile or or near our period or just had a baby, um, estrogen and progesterone ratios are supposed to exist in relationship to each other. But when you have, when your progesterone gets really, really low, then you're kind of living more dominantly in the impact of estrogen and its symptoms that, or, you know, it's, it's how it, um, manifests in your body. Similarly, you can have normal estrogen, uh, progesterone, but you could be using a lot of body products that have fragrance, that have things like phthalates in them, or certain women, and, and this is, please take this, this is not meant to be weight shaming at all, but we know that as we get to higher and higher and higher levels of weight, when we have more adipose tissue, we produce more estrogen. So women who are heavier are often producing more estrogen, which actually can be really beneficial in menopause mm-hmm. um, because we've got that estrogen, but it can also lead to having more circulating estrogen, even if progesterone levels are normal. So estrogen um, makes us feel uh, juicy and curvy and uh, you know, it creates that nice vaginal lubrication. It's important for cognitive function, for heart function, for bone density. Um, but estrogen, when it's high or when it's high and progesterone is low, can also make us feel really irritable and it can make our hormones feel like they're, our emotions feel like they're hormonally out of control. We kind of all know what that feels like. Um, but also when estrogen is high, and then it plummets, that can make us feel really um, out of control too. So is it likely that a lot of people that just gave birth are going to be estrogen dominant until things start to stabilize? You know, I have not found that to be true in the medical literature that I've reviewed. It's a very um, popular theory on the internet, but when you actually look at the studies of women's hormones postpartum, mm-hmm. um, what you typically see is a is a is a is an enormous drop 
in progesterone, um, but a very, very significant drop in, in estrogen. And then again, that prolactin is suppressing the estrogen. So it's, it's actually, in my experience and my research and understanding, you're more likely to be low in both of them than oh. be estrogen dominant. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But what about if someone is not breastfeeding? Then they don't have the prolactin keeping the estrogen and the dopamine low. Yeah, so then they won't necessarily be estrogen dominant. They just would go back to their, to their normal norm. base. Okay. Yeah, so um, if they already have more estrogen, you know, for whatever reason they're producing excess or they're not producing enough progesterone, then sure, they may have some estrogen quote unquote dominance where the estrogen symptoms are more predominant um, for them through their cycle. So these are women who are more likely going to have, for example, greater cyclic breast tenderness. So a lot of breast tenderness or lumpiness before their periods, they may be more likely to have PMS. They may, if with that big plummet from high estrogen to very low, right before the period starts, they may be more likely to have um, menstrual migraines. Okay, this is this is so interesting. Um, I'm throwing a few que- heavy periods too. I'm throwing a few questions I hadn't prepped for you, but you know how prevalent estrogen dominance is. No, I mean it's not really considered um, an issue, like a big issue. No, it's it's considered a big issue in the functional and integrative world, but it's not really considered an. Um, an accurate medical term. Got it. So I don't know that there's any real research on how many women are estrogen dominant. It's a little bit like saying how many people have adrenal fatigue. It's not really like anyone's actually studied that because it's not right. a real, it's not a real defined medical phenomenon. Um, so we can say, well, a lot of people are tired and a lot of people have these symptoms or a lot of women have symptoms where they're having symptoms that are estrogen seem to be estrogen related, but postpartum, I don't know. I don't think anyone's actually studied that. I could be wrong, but no, I'm just you know, curious. I still have the literature pretty well and I haven't seen that. And is, if someone is estrogen dominant, what do they do about that? Is there eventually over time, their estrogen just starts to balance itself out? No. I mean, if someone is estrogen dominant, like where they're having either excess estrogen or their estrogen is normal in relationship to their progesterone. Those are two different things. So let's take one and then the other. So let's actually start with normal estrogen, but low progesterone. In that case, the low progesterone will cause its own set of symptoms. And we have to look at, well, why is the progesterone low? And does that woman need to... um, are there, you know, nutritional things that she needs to do? Botanicals like Vitex or Chaseberry, which we know helps to increase estrogen uh, progesterone. If she is struggling with her fertility, does she need to actually take progesterone to improve her fertility? So, low uh, normal estrogen, low progesterone can seem like symptomatically someone's quote unquote estrogen dominant, but it's really the progesterone that's the problem. You bring up the progesterone, the ratio gets normal and they're feeling much better. Um, but, but in that case, they may, they, what they may be assuming is symptoms of too much estrogen are actually the symptoms of low progesterone. For someone who actually has too much estrogen, and they're having some of the different kinds of symptoms that I talked with you, you know, mentioned the cyclic breast tenderness, heavy periods, um, 
et cetera, et cetera, you want to look at, well, why are they estrogen dominant? What's going on? Why do they have too much estrogen? And that might be um, their weight may be a challenge for them. They may be being exposed to high levels of environmental triggers that are causing high estrogen. Um, in our gut, we have something called the estrobilome, and it's part of the microbiome that's responsible for breaking down and eliminating estrogen. So if they have problems with their gut microbiome that's not binding and eliminating estrogen, it can be recirculating. Um, they may have issues with their um, what's called metabolic detoxification. So, you know, you hear the word detox a lot, which means kind of like a cleanse, but our bodies actually have this whole detoxification system that happens in the liver. And that is where we break down the estrogen before it even gets to our gut for the microbiome to work on. So if we're missing nutrients that are important for the breakdown of estrogen, if our uh, metabolic detoxification system isn't up to par, uh, those can be all reasons that um, we're not breaking down and eliminating that estrogen. So there are a whole lot of strategies for that. I actually have a hormone book coming out in December um, 2020, which will address you know, how we can um, understand the symptoms of these different hormones on our body and also what to do from kind of this multi-system perspective to bring those hormones into balance. But we know, for example, studies have looked at estrogen levels in teenage girls who are using sunscreen, um, conventional body products that are high in phthalates and other um, what are called estrogen uh, endocrine disruptors or xenoestrogens, environmental estrogen toxins, um, and drinking out of plastic water bottles. And studies have shown that these young women have higher levels of not only these chemicals in their blood, but uh, higher levels of estrogen. And when we get those exposures out of their lifestyle, those hormone levels regulate out. So, you know, it sounds so woo-woo and so kind of left and sort of goopified to say, oh, you know, drink out of a glass water bottle or, um, uh, you know, avoid... Uh, all the plastics. In, uh, yeah, all the plastics or, or, you know, switch to green, clean body products, but it really does make a difference. No, I, I can't wait to get your book. I 100% agree. So you'd mentioned a little bit about thyroidism. I want to jump there. Um, yeah. What was really fascinating to me as I was doing this research, and especially when we start to talk about some of the signs and symptoms of hypo or hyperthyroidism, they sound like postpartum. You're like, <laughs> Therein lies why so many women struggle with these yeah. things they get missed, right? Yeah. So um, let's open that Pandora's box because as I was reading this, and again, I was talking about it's out of the scope for yoga teachers to ever diagnose, but we may be able to see these things happen just to encourage someone to take another step. But what new parent walks into my yoga class that doesn't say they're fatigued? I mean, it's so, it's so fine. So I guess let's back up. And can you explain the difference between hypo and hyperthyroidism? Yeah. If you, if you don't mind, I'd love to actually back up and even yeah. address what you just said. So yes, first of all, conventional obstetrics most women do not get a postpartum visit until six weeks postpartum. Yep. And by that time, if she is exhausted or she is struggling with postpartum depression or she's having significant breastfeeding problems and hasn't gotten support, and sometimes those breastfeeding problems can be, ca be caused by hypothyroidism, as I'll explain in a minute, um, 
it, it can get totally missed. And, and it's such a huge missed opportunity because she may really have a struggle with feeling connected to her baby, or she may feel so guilty and horrible and failing as a mom to not be able to provide her baby breast milk if that's what she was hoping to do. And so often it is not the OB who recognizes it because the mom by then may have already quit breastfeeding or may have already just, you know, assumed that it's just not going to work for her. And so it is often the doula, the postpartum doula or a friend or a yoga teacher uh, who can actually say, you know, yeah, being a new mama is really hard, but it sounds like maybe this is harder than it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And getting some help could be really just, just even saying that to a woman is so validating. I mean, I have four kids, you have kids. I mean, I, I know postpartum is, is, is challenging in and of itself. I always say that postpartum with hypothyroidism is like trying to breastfeed a baby with one arm while pushing a piano <laughs> up the hill with the other arm or like with your leg with the other arm tied behind your back or something. So, um, yeah, you know, being able to say to each other, one, honestly, how you're feeling as a new mom, because putting on this veneer of, I feel great and everything's going great. And I'm going to just put on a smile for my all natural mommy group. It doesn't help anybody feel better no. and it doesn't help us get, a, get the help we need. And so we all end up living with this big guilt. lie yeah, yeah, and guilt and misery and such a missed opportunity to enjoy that time. So, you know, speaking truth to each other is so important and, and feeling like you can really reach out to a mom and ask her how she's doing and like, you know, give her that little wink, especially if you have, you know, I was like, when I see a woman in the store and her kids on the floor pitching a bloody fit, I like, I'll just look at the mom and wink at her. Like, you know, just we've like been there. Her. we've all been there. <laughs> so thyroid. So yes, being a new mom can be tiring. Uh, all new moms that I've ever met have anxieties, especially if it's your first or second baby. Like, are they supposed to be doing that? Like, am I, like, am I killing them when I'm changing their diaper and they're screaming? Like how many times should they wake up? What if they don't wake up? Like, what if they're not breathing? It's like, what if they do that little tiny bit of baby apnea where they stop breathing for a few seconds? And so do we. And so there's already so much. And then, we're, and you know, the sleeplessness is considered normal. So when a, a new mom says, I'm anxious, I'm not sleeping, I'm not losing the baby weight, um, blah, 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 blah. We all just say, oh, that's normal for a new mom, but we have to ask more deeply. Mm -hmm. it, it is normal to a certain extent, but how much is this affecting you? And, um, you know, we want to look at all the other things. Is she getting good support in her life? Is she keeping up her nutrition? Is she getting someone to cover her for a few hours so she can get a nap, you know, in the afternoon? All of that stuff. But hypothyroidism is very commonly missed postpartum. But interestingly, hyperthyroidism. So hypo is when your thyroid's working too slowly. Hyper is when your thyroid is working too quickly. And hyperthyroidism can cause a woman to feel like she can't go to sleep. You know, I need to clean everything. I can't sleep while the baby's sleeping. I have so much energy. It can cause a woman to have serious over anxiety to even the point of panic attacks that she's going to hurt the baby or something's going to happen to the baby, or she's worried about her partner because she or he is late coming home from work and she's not sure that the partner's had a horrible accident. Like all these like crazy out of control 
thoughts that we might normally have a little bit postpartum are like on fast, you know, fast play, um, in a woman with hyperthyroidism. But interestingly, um, she may be losing a lot of her baby weight really fast. And everyone around her is saying, oh, it's so normal to be anxious as a new mom. And it's so normal to not get sleep, but look at you, you're bouncing back. I hate that term. We can talk about that too, but you're (laughs) bouncing back so fast. You, you know, you look like before you had your baby. And so she might also get missed as having hyperthyroid. Another thing is that what happens for a lot of women post baby who are going to end up with a thyroid problem, which it can be as many as 30 or more percent of women who experience some form of thyroid disruption postpartum, a lot of women experience the hyper. So they're losing the baby weight. They feel great. They're energetic. They're on top of the world. They don't need that much sleep. It's all going fine. And then all of a sudden, like eight weeks later, they're depressed. They're crashing. Everyone's gone back to you know normal life. And it's not exciting that you had a new baby anymore. And they're not losing weight anymore. or They're putting weight back on. And now they feel depressed. And what happens is really interesting. So when you go from hyper, there's a hormone called TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. And that's the hormone that controls, it's coming from your brain and it controls how much hormones your thyroid is producing. So if your thyroid is producing a lot of thyroid hormone, the TSH gets really low. Think about it this way. If you knock on someone's door lightly, and they answer the door. You don't have to pound on the door really loudly. If your thyroid is producing hormone, the TSH just needs to knock on the thyroid door a little bit and it does the job. So it's very low. But if your thyroid starts tanking, it's not producing thyroid hormone. It's like someone not answering the door. You have to bang on the door and bang on the door. You get louder and louder. That TSH gets really high. So the TSH in that transition time from someone going from hyper to hypo starts out very low and then gets high. So in that transition, it has to cross over the normal zone, right? Goes from low to high in between is normal. And so a lot of times women go to the doctor and right at that time, right around yes. that right in six weeks right when everything's seeming peachy yeah. keen. Yeah. So they're like, I've had all this energy. Now I'm feeling depressed. They go and their thyroid looks okay because it's crossing from the extremely low to the high and it looks normal. And so their doctor is going to say, it's not your thyroid. You look fine. It's just being a new mom. Or another thing can happen is there's some disagreement in the medical world on what the high what's too high and what's normal. And so you might be at the high end of normal and that's not normal for you, Mm. but your doctor says it's fine because it's the high end of normal. It's still normal. And I always say, well, like, yeah, but if a pot is simmering and it's at 210 degrees and it has to be 212 to technically be boiling, it's still on the way to boiling. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like almost boiling and boiling when it comes to your hormones, it may not be normal for you. So a lot of women for those reasons, one, the symptoms being so common, both of low and high, but also the labs sometimes not giving a good indication have this going on and they're missed. And and this is significant because hypothyroidism, postpartum, not only 
increases a woman's likelihood that she's going to later develop hypothyroidism in her life. But in the more immediate time, you know, a complete inability to lose baby weight might be affecting her self-esteem and her self-confidence. She might already feel like her life is out of control and, and she's lost her identity. And now her body isn't even doing what she feels like her she needs her body to do to fit back into her clothes. And it's not that we ever go back to our pre-mom bodies. Like you're a mom, you know, the stretch marks might not go away. Our bodies are different and our lives are different. But, you know, if you just can't even budge on the weight and you're trying, that can be really frustrating. If you are exhausted all the time and you can't take care of yourself or your baby. If you're depressed and, you know, that can be a little bit of blue where you're just not enjoying your life to like, I can't get out of bed. I cannot feed my baby. And it can really suppress breast milk function, it uh, production. It can, and that's, can be devastating for a woman who was hoping to breastfeed and her that's baby. that's more anxiety. So now they're trying to figure out, now yeah. they're surfing the web, like how to increase supply and they might be. Or baby's yeah. not gaining weight and they're going to the doctor all the time. And that's terrifying. It can completely tank your libido. And hopefully you have a partner who's supporting you as 60% of women are going to, or some percent, large percent of women are going to be doing this on their own anyway. But, um, I think it's actually, I think it's 30% of new moms or single moms. I have to double check this. It's a lot. Um, but if you have a partner who is less understanding and it's sadly common that a lot of partners, and this seems to be particularly true with male partners, expect women to start having sex again at four weeks or six weeks postpartum. And a lot of women don't want to anyway, but your sex drive can be completely suppressed by low thyroid function and you're depressed and it can cause your hair to fall out. I mean, it can affect your life in so many, many ways. And if it's getting missed by people, um, you can also start to feel like you're actually crazy. Like I have had so many women come to me and tell me they felt sure they just had some horrible mental health problem. And statistically, we suspect that about 15% of women who are on an antidepressant actually don't need the antidepressant. They actually have an undiagnosed thyroid problem. So yeah, it's crazy. And it's also referred hypo is also referred to as Hashimoto's. Is that correct? Or is that two separate things? <clears throat> Hashimoto's is a form of hypothyroidism okay. in which there is an autoimmune component to it. Oh, okay. So Hashimoto's is autoimmune hypothyroidism. And most women postpartum um, just have a more transient hypothyroidism that's called postpartum thyroiditis that somewhere it can show up anytime in the first 18 months, but will often resolve itself within a year to 18 months just on its own. Um, most doctors won't even medicate for it, although I actually disagree with that. And I'm very low to medicate people on anything. Mm -hmm. um, but look, you know, if a little bit of thyroid hormone, which is just I mean, if, if you were low in vitamin D and you felt depressed all the time, you would take vitamin D. Um, and the thing is with thyroid hormone, it's, uh, vitamin D is a hormone. Taking thyroid hormone is more like taking vitamin D than it is like taking some big bang pharmaceutical. Right. Um, obviously, I don't want to minimize it. It's definitely taking a pharmaceutical, but it can be like I've had patients say to me like, oh my God, Dr. Rom, I feel like somebody put jumper cables on my spark plugs and started my engine. I've had women say it felt like somebody turned on the windshield wipers and I can finally see clearly. I feel like somebody put the lights on in the room and I can have cognitive function again. That's another thing. Like 
you know, we talk about that milk mind and mommy, mommy fog, and that's all very real. Like our brain is definitely functioning in a different mode when we're nurturing and taking care of a baby, but no new mom should be, you know, really struggling with cognitive dysfunction. And if that's happening, there's a good chance it's thyroid. Um, so it's such a, uh, addressable, um, problem, but if we miss it, it can really cause just a huge amount of suffering. So anyway, yeah. So Hashimoto's is when the thyroid antibodies are elevated. And this is why it's really important in my opinion. And there's a lot of controversy around this in the medical, in the obstetric world. For me, it's not a controversy. I check women's thyroid antibodies during pregnancy because having elevated thyroid antibodies in pregnancy is predictive of having postpartum thyroid problems and a much, much higher risk for developing postpartum depression. So then, so that's fantastic. So then they know to look out for it. And do you, I know ACOG, I'm pretty sure it's ACOG, um, a year or two ago said they're recommending a two week and a six week checkup. And then I actually did a couple interviews with OBs and they're like, yeah, that's, that sounds great, but that's not going to happen. So if you, and that's for many other reasons we can get into later, but, um, so if you have that information and someone could actually get squeezed in for a two week, but at least at the six week, you could check and see where their, where their thyroid levels are. If you know, Absolutely. This is a possibility. yes. And any woman who has had a thyroid uh, diagnosis in pregnancy, that should absolutely be treated in pregnancy anyway, because that has a huge impact on baby's cognitive development and brain growth and all of that. So then that woman should also be checked at at least one or two weeks postpartum and then again at six weeks postpartum. Oh gosh, if we can get our care a little better, it could really oh my help gosh. so many people. I know. It, it really could be transformative for the experience of becoming a mom. Postpartum period. Yes. It's such a hard yeah. thing as you and I are talking about that if we could have a little bit more support and understanding instead of just feeling like we're in this fog, you know, you know, that would just help so many people. All right, when we, I'm going to take a super quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about how sleep and diet can affect the hormone balance. Okay, we're going to come right back. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, sleep, diet, hormones. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so what do you want to know? Let, let's break um, it down. I guess how how does that happen? Because it's so I found that those are two things I personally found so hard to regulate during postpartum. I literally would find myself when it came to diet, and I'm a pretty healthy eater, literally being like, okay, a glass of milk, that's gonna count as lunch. It has some protein, it has some <laughs> natural sugars. And then I'd be like in outside and about and be like, oh look, there's a protein bar. Great, score. And I just found that so hard to regulate. So can diet, how does diet affect hormone balance as well as how does sleep or should I say lack thereof affect yeah. hormone balance? So one thing is so important is that when we think of pregnancy, we're so busy planning our birth plan and what we want and what we don't want. And, you know, is the baby healthy? And there's so many concerns that are focused on the birth. And so often we don't think 
pass that to what mom really needs. So one of the things that I am huge on, just huge on, is communities creating phone uh, not phone trees, food trees mm. for moms. And there are apps you can use online, programs you can use online for free where, you know, one person in the community takes charges. It's like your sister or your best friend, they create the the food tree. They like set it up in one of the online programs and everyone just signs up and they bring food and they, you know, I always have, have the rule, bringing food doesn't mean you get to come in and hug and hold the baby. Just bringing food means you're taking care of us so we can hug and hold our baby. So having food in the freezer, food in the fridge, really getting a handle on having a lot of quick snacks around because it's true. I mean, I remember with my first baby, my husband would come home from work and and I'd be like, babe, I haven't eaten, pooped or taken a shower all day. It would just be like, here, he'd walk in like, here, take the baby, you know? And, um, I would, um, you know, or like, you're like, you're, you're going to the bathroom, rocking the baby rocker with your foot. So you can like go to the bathroom (laughs) or like peeking out of the shower with the baby on the floor. So, you know, having, um, a lot of foods with leftovers, batch cooking, um, things that are frozen in the freezer. I know it sounds so trite, but it's so important. Um, if this is a time where your community or family can help you splurge on like a home delivery service, even if it's something that you have to prepare the food, but it's kind of kind of all done for you and the recipes are there, super, super important. And, and, and having a lot of snacks is, you know, just keeping your, I guess what I'm saying is like keeping your blood sugar steady is the most important thing you can do for your hormones. And the other thing is that a lot of women carb restrict in general. Like we have gotten so afraid of carbs. It's crazy. And, um, postpartum, if a lot of women are like wanting to get back to their pre-baby weight or lose that baby weight, which is such, you know, understandably a fixation, um, we, and we're cutting out carbs. Well, carbs are really important for the building blocks for a lot of the neurotransmitters that we need to keep ourselves feeling healthy, like serotonin. Serotonin is what the basis of the antidepressants that most people use, SSRIs like Prozac, are that they keep your serotonin circulating longer so that um, that, that it doesn't break down as quickly. It keeps it in the nervous system for a prolonged period of time. Well, we could also we could also make our serotonin um, more, make more of it, and keep it around longer by not restricting carbs because carbs are really important. So healthy. So go carbs. enjoy some French bread with a little butter. Is what you're telling me? Yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, I want it to be healthful and like not just wanton, you know, empty calories that aren't healthful for you. But, uh, you know, Sophia Loren said it so beautifully. I mean, I know she's a lot older now, but she was just this iconic beauty, right? In the 60s and 70s and into the 80s. I mean, just a gorgeous woman with and a buxom woman, right? By any standard. And she said, I owe everything I have to pasta. Now, I know a lot of people are gluten-free, you know, they're alternatives. So quinoa. Quinoa, <laughs> rice, you know, rice noodles, um, whole grain brown rice, um, millet, buckwheat, uh, buckwheat pancakes. And if you eat gluten, you know, healthful sourdough bread, um, keeping things around that are easy to go to, like nut butters. If you eat dairy, you know, a healthy organic yogurt can be a good snack and some nuts, nuts and seeds and, um, you know, trail mixes are great, but I think if you try to restrict to get your body back or, you know, to do a postpartum cleanse, um, this is when I see women get thrown into hormone problems and imbalances, um, restricting postpartum 
is not a helpful way to feel good and get your, you know, kind of start to reclaim your body, if you will. Yeah, and I'm assuming um, the vi- like the variable of sleep, it's just so hard in the beginning. I personally, I found that yes. I have yet to meet a friend that's like, oh yeah, we got that covered. So and every now and then I'll have a client come in or patient come in now who is like, yeah, my baby's been sleeping since two weeks old. I'm like, what did you do? Like that is the where unicorn. Did you, where did you, right. The unicorn baby. But they, but by the time they have the second, they always get the one that never sleeps. So it all evens out in the, in the long run. But yeah. Um, so for sleep, I mean, yes, it's hard. I found personally for me that I, um, I liked sleeping with my babies cause I was breastfeeding. And so I didn't have to get out of bed at night. They were right there. On the other hand, I, you know, I'm 53. I have four grown kids. My youngest is turning 26 next month and, um, I have two grandkids and I guess what happens over time is, um, uh, getting like a little bit tempered in realizing that if it's not good for mom, it's not good for baby. Mm-hmm. And so if you're doing prolonged breastfeeding and your baby is two years old and still waking you up in the night and you're miserable and it's affecting your life, I mean, at some point you do have permission to wean your baby or put your baby in their own bed. And, um, you know, a partner can pitch in if you're doing it alone, um, you know, hiring a, uh, someone who can come in at night and rock, or a family member who can kind of rock the baby. Because when that baby's sleeping next to you and breastfeeding, I mean, studies have shown, and believe me, I mean, I had four kids all born at home, all breastfed till older than I'm going to even say on the radio, and um, did family bed. But in retrospect, I think, okay, my, my kids probably would have grown up just as well if I cut myself some slack. And I think knowing what that that point is, is really important. I think the other thing too, is that women have rarely ever raised kids in the nuclear silos that we raise kids in. Yes. I mean, in pioneer times, people did move West and live on the plains like Laura and Mary, you know, the Ingalls family, but, but for the most part, we've historically raised our families in community. But I think particularly those of us who are doing attachment parenting, we feel like we can't ever hand baby over or child over to someone else. And, you know, it's funny, I homeschooled my kids and I was pregnant with my fourth baby and we didn't have a television and we weren't like strict parents. We were just trying to do things like we weren't restricted. We were just trying to be very natural and organic and we lived on the land and we didn't have a TV. And so I was pregnant with the fourth and one of my midwifery clients came over and she said, how's it going? And it was so cute. I lived in the South. She had this heavy Southern accent and um, she was having her third or fourth baby. And I said, you know, I could just use a nap once in a while. And she said to me, you know, Aviva in this heavy Georgia accent, sometimes in life we have to just make a decision, get a TV or kill a kid. (laughs) I burst out laughing. I mean, I burst out laughing and I did, I got a TV and my kids could watch, like we didn't have, um, we didn't have a television reception so they could rent like reading rainbow DVDs from the library. (laughs) But I got an hour of sleep in the afternoon when I needed a nap and the kids were safely tucked in the next room. You know, like knowing what your boundaries are, if you need to bring a high school student in, you know, do a trade or swap, you know, for naps with a mom, you know, who's pregnant uh, from your yoga class, but just like ask for help. It's okay. We can't do it all. We shouldn't even be trying to do it all. These expectations on us as moms 
are completely unreasonable. Um, so that's a really important time to just cut yourself some slack and pay attention to your body. If you're tired, it was Jada Pinkett says, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith said something like, when I'm tired, I rest. I don't need to be superwoman. And I love that. I we love don't. that. Yeah. yeah. One other question about the hormones is, is there anything prenatally that can help if someone maybe knows that they may have a predisposition to um, one of the hypo or hypothyroidism? Is there anything they can do prenatally to help with this? Well, nutritionally, um, it's just really important to keep up with, you know, a healthy, balanced diet that's appropriate for pregnancy. Get all the nutrients you need. If someone has the MTHFR gene, they may be a little bit more susceptible. And I say maybe, it doesn't mean they are, but they may be more susceptible to postpartum depression. I talk about that over on my website. Um, there's just a blog I have on. Oh, if you look to up, that. Yeah. If you look up my name in MTHFR, you'll find it. And it talks about what to do in pregnancy. But in, but taking methylfolate instead of just folic acid can, can be really helpful. If you have a thyroid problem, whether it's hyper or hypo, it's it's incredibly important to take the appropriate medication during pregnancy. That is not a time to mess around with alternatives instead of the medication. But in addition to the medication, there are some nutrients like selenium and inositol, which may help with those thyroid antibodies, which may help prevent that postpartum thyroid problem. And then of course, a prenatal vitamin is really important. Actually, studies show that women who take prenatal vitamins have more likelihood of having a full-term pregnancy, which is so important, not just for baby, but for you. I mean, preterm babies can cause just enormous amounts of heartache and anxiety and hospital visits and fatigue and exhaustion and overwhelming medical decisions to make. And so, um, you know, doing everything just because you have a preterm baby doesn't mean you do something wrong by any means. Um, but you know, doing everything you can for prevention is really, um, really helpful for you getting enough protein in your diet, making sure you're getting enough foods with magnesium and calcium and B12 because those are all also important for our nervous system. And if someone is, you're saying that it's not always check the thyroid during pregnancy, can somebody request it if it's not something their care provider normally does? Is it- absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So what you want to ask for is a T at, at minimum, you want to, and most doctors will will be willing to do this minimum testing is a TSH, so thyroid stimulating hormone, T, a free T4, which is the standard that OBs will do if they are checking during pregnancy, and anti-thyroid, um, it's, it's called anti-TPO, it's anti-thyroperoxidase um, enzyme. So anti-TPO. And if you can get those three things checked, that's really important. And the thing is with TSH in the first trimester, it's very similar to that hormone that we produce called beta HCG that helps maintain a pregnancy. That's the hormone that we check for in a pregnancy test. So TSH isn't always accurate during first trimester, but if the antibodies are elevated or the free T4 isn't normal, that's indicative of a thyroid problem. And then any other time in the pregnancy, the TSH is a really important thing to check. 
That's so great. And I'm, I'm going I'm to link all of this uh, from your website uh, that people can see because we're knowing how prevalent it is to have a thyroid issue. And if there's anything that can set one up to either not have something or at least be aware that it, they might be more predisposed is so important. All right, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. Now you have four kids. You have been a midwife. You have delivered babies. You've done it all. I would love for you to offer one tip or piece of advice for a new or expectant parent. So we'll be right back. Okay. So you have a vast amount of knowledge on so many things. Pick one. Ask for help. Ooh, I like that one. And accept it when it's given. Ah, that's the harder part. <laughs> Accepting mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's so perfect. And where can people find your work? Aviva Ram uh, is my name and just Google me. You'll get to my website and that's the best place to find me. You can hang out with me on my Facebook page, which is Aviva Ram MD on Instagram. I've, I've joined the Instagram nation. <laughs> so you can find me there too. And you've got books, several books. I do. I do. I have a book called the natural pregnancy book, which came out when I was like 28. So oh I my would goodness. change some of the dietary recommendations because they were like, what natural food eating was like back then. Um, but all the herbal and like mom guidance is still golden. Uh, I have, um, natural health after birth, which was written way before talking about postpartum and fourth trimester was cool, but, um, it's one of my favorite books. Um, and for those of you who are super geeky about herbal medicine, I actually have a textbook, botanical medicine for women's health. I've got a book on vaccinations, kids, natural medicine, and a hormone book coming out in December. I'm so excited um, for that. <laughs> and I've got and the adrenal thyroid revolution, of course, which has a lot about thyroid, but there's so much free information on my website. If you love books and want to read, I'm always grateful for people supporting, um, you know, the work and learning more by buying the books, but there's so much you can get from the website. Yeah. I actually spent quite a bit of time digging in there. <laughs> There's such great information. Well, I wanted to thank you yet again. Another great conversation. You really opened up some confused spots for me about postpartum hormones. And I hope and I'm confident this, the community will feel the same. So thank you for so openly sharing your wisdom. Oh my gosh, such a pleasure. Such great questions. And I love what you're doing for moms. So thank you for having me. You're welcome. Take care. <laughs> This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.